want to turn this old year's morning service to Jeremiah 29. We'll read the first 14 verses. The text on which I'll focus in the preaching is verse 11. Jeremiah 29, the first 14 verses, hear the word of the Lord. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are, were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, Take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives from your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity." I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Thus far we read the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he was to deliver to the ones who had been carried away captive to Babylon. The text is this wonderful text, verse 11 of Jeremiah 29. And I don't know if you know this, but this text has been placarded on many T-shirts. And there are signs and bumper stickers with regard to this text. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And you see in the text itself why this is such a popular thing 
in America and in other places of the world in broader evangelicalism because this says to the people of God, the future is bright, the future is blessed, the future is God thinking good thoughts towards us and blessing us and giving us hope that we shall be blessed, forgiven our sins, and brought back to God. Well, it is true, and it is a very important uh, aspect of our theology on the ground, and it shall be in this year to come. We preach here, the future is bright, the future is blessed for all the people of God. Indeed, the future is bright. Because as the word of God says here, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. What a delightful thing. And what a delightful thing to meditate upon the thoughts of God towards us, of peace and not of evil, as we turn a corner from one year to the next. So we want to think about this and Make sure that we're doing this with understanding, and perhaps not, as we shall see, perhaps not, as is a misunderstanding behind all of the placarded T-shirts and um, license plates. Let us hear the truth of God's thoughts towards us. First of all, the great blessing. Secondly, the way of that blessing. And finally, the result of this, interesting that tied to this text is verse 12, after God gives these thoughts of peace and not of evil, and that affects them in their future, then, he says, you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and so on. A great response. So let's consider the great blessing that is prophesied here. And beloved, your pastor and pastor Jesus in heaven wants us truly to know this blessing, this congregational blessing, this family blessing, the blessing of all God's people right here and in all the world. This is the blessing of this year to come in world without end. Well, we are given an inclination, or not an inclination, a wonderful revelation of the thoughts of God. The thoughts of God, Jeremiah is given to say, are thoughts of peace and not of evil towards the people of his good pleasure. Peace shall be to them and not evil. This is what he says. And this is universal, that is, I think thoughts of peace, Jehovah is saying, and I don't think any other thoughts towards you, and they will not be of evil, these thoughts, and there will be no evil at all, and always towards you, no evil, and always towards you, peace. Now what the... Fulfillment is here that God is speaking of, which is a future and hope for Israel, is, of course, that they will return from captivity. In verse 10, we read one of the many passages in Jeremiah and others of the prophets, 
After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. And then he speaks of his thoughts, which are the source of this knowledge of blessing and the blessing itself. And then he, thinks, he speaks of his thoughts of peace and not of evil. Going home is the great blessing that Jeremiah is to send, the message he is to send to the elders and the leaders of Israel already gone captive. After 70 years, an appointed time of chastening, there will be a homecoming. God will let the prisoners free precisely because of his thoughts toward them, which are of peace and not of evil. So peace, as depicted here, as a homecoming, as a people going back to the promised land where was the presence of God depicted in the Old Testament, in a temple, in a holy place, in a temple. And all the worship that was commanded of the people in the Old Covenant there was a worship that was centered on this place and according to the ordinances that God had given because God was with the people and the people was with God in the temple coming for the stated solemnities no less than three times a year to worship, Passover and the Day of Atonement and so on so that they knew and their faith was worked to know every single day and week, Sabbath week, and every single time they worshiped formally, God was with them. When there was exile, therefore, this was a problem. This was a problem to the minds of the people of God because it was as if they were being kicked out of Eden the very first time, Adam and Eve, remember that? They fellowship with God. God was in the garden. God was with them. And when they sinned, they were expelled from the garden. Picture of their dissociation from God and his from them. God was no more with them. They were no more with God. And so the exile, which had begun at the time that Jeremiah is writing here, had begun the early years of 600 and so, 605 or so B.C. And the exile was this statement that God was chastening them. And maybe they were led to think God was cursing them. They were no longer his people. This was the terror of the captivity. This was the problem in the minds of the people, thinking that God had forsaken them had every right to forsake them because of their idolatry, their, idolatry uh, uh, their adultery, their immorality, and every other sin under the face of heaven, just like the heathen. They were thinking God was now fed up and was performing his justice towards them. So the prophecy of Jeremiah to the captives that there will be this captivity, but there will be this return was full of hope and a great solace for this people to hear. The summary of the blessing of God, in fact, 
and of all of his thoughts that he thinks toward the people, or or that they are thoughts and blessings of peace and not of evil. This is striking. Peace there is the word for, in the Hebrew, shalom, which encompasses all manner of blessing. It's one of those universal words that encompasses all that God could ever do and ever does for a people. He makes them to be a people of shalom. And shalom speaks of the prosperity of a people whose God is the Lord. It speaks of their being marked out in all the nations who are restless and like the troubled sea as a people that's with God and is therefore at peace with God. They are reconciled, this people. They are God's people, and all he speaks to them are words of peace, and all his thoughts to them are thoughts of peace and not of evil, nothing to break the peace, even in the captivity. If you look at Jeremiah 24 and verse 5 and following, the captivity itself was not for evil, but for the good of the people and therefore their peace. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah 24, 5, Now thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I've sent out of this place for their good or their own good into the land of the Chaldeans, Babylon, for I will set my eyes on them for good And I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people. And I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So even in the captivity, the people were being led to know this was somehow for their good. And there was this peace pictured in the return of the Jewish people to that land of Palestine, which would never even by this chastisement, this captivity for their sins, be broken. It was peace. And it was certain. Oh, beloved, the application here To us in 2024 needs to be brought out and to be brought out in the first place by reminding us that centrally the peace of God, the shalom of God and the return from captivity even is a picture of blessings that God gives us and all his people, whoever were the blessing of fellowship with God, the blessing of having sins forgiven, pictured in the blood of the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the atonement that was offered, Jesus' blood, the fellowship that we have, the peace in our hearts that's given to us through faith now as we appropriate these things and receive them and embrace them so that Christ is our all. This is... Something very important to understand here in application. It's not just that the Jews, they were blessed with a certain peace and certain return, a promise of a return to the land 
which may or may not be being fulfilled in these latter days among the Jewish people and the Holy Land, as people call it now. That's not the case. We read our Bibles this way as Reformed believers who understand the unity and the thread of the gospel running through Old and New Testament. God in the Old Testament gave the people peace from their enemies. He gave them a return from captivity, land, and all. He gave them a temple, and he gave them all of the ordinances of God. This is just a picture of how God blesses us through the blood of Jesus to make us his spiritual people, the apple of his eye, and gives us the peace of God that cannot uh, be passed in understanding. The Jews, after all, are a picture of what it is to be God's elect. Paul says in Romans repeatedly, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that of the flesh, but of the heart. It always was. But for a time, and children, you need to know this, this is Catechism 101, for a time, God showed his salvation and his love and his thoughts toward people and his peace with them among the Jews. Even then, it was not all of the Jews, and even then, it was not only the Jews. There's a Rahab, there's a Melchizedek, there's a, a Ruth and, uh, and, and Naomi, or Ruth anyway, and there were other isolated individuals. And the promise, after all, to Abraham was not just of his seed that there would be blessing, but there would be blessing in all the nations through Abraham. So now the fulfillment is God's people from all the world they are those who are the Lord's. And they are the Lord's in this great and blessed way, which is singular. There is no blessing that's beyond the blessing of the peace of God. There is no blessing. Remember this in 2024, beyond or above or better than the peace of God so that there is peace with God. Do you know that? We're no church if we preach something different than that. God loving sinners so that sinners are brought to God. God thinking thoughts of peace and then affecting that peace. So that his thoughts are accomplished and his word as well, as we'll see. This is the great blessing. And... This is the hope of the future. This is our hope, 2024. Are there other things you're aiming for? That's good, and we'll see that we are certainly called to do this and aim for, uh, have other goals and so on, but as long as it's the one goal of pressing toward the mark of the high calling that's in Christ Jesus to attain the crown, peace, Peace with God. This was Israel's hope, and she was to wait for this, and we are to wait for this, because there's a present chastisement. I have wondered the place of the captivity in the whole redemptive scheme of God and deliverance from the captivity. What is this all about? I believe... Um, getting to a better understanding of it. 
Here's the problem in my mind, and maybe in your mind too. There's the Exodus, and the people of God are led out of Egypt, and then they become the people of God. But then later on, after hundreds and hundreds of years and kings uh, showing themselves, not King Jesus, but just sinners, even in Judah, leading to a captivity. And what is this? Another Egypt? No, it's Babylon. Well, Egypt, we know, is a picture of, of sin and hell, and then being exited from that is a picture of our being delivered from sin and hell and bondage and so on. But what about Babylon? Well, beloved, I think it's something approaching is this Babylon pictorially, the place of us who are in between the times of when Jesus has come to when he shall come again. The Babylonian captivity is simply this world in which we find ourselves and in which we must live and be a people of God in the midst of this world. And it's a chastising sort of thing, a position of chastisement. We are the people of God, but we blow it again and again, and so we're in this place where, yes, indeed, we know the peace of God, but we are in this struggle. There's this captivity. There is this not yetness of glory. Think on these things. But now this peace is absolutely certain. You notice here in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. The word thoughts is plural. There's more than one thought. And it could refer to intentions. You know, I know my intentions toward you, my purposes. Those are other ways to transfer, uh, translate the word. But the fact that it's plural probably means this, that they're certain. These thoughts of God that he knows are certain. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verse 1, wisdom, perfect wisdom is described in the plural, wisdoms, it's said. And it's a way, a Hebrew way of describing perfect wisdom. And so here, divine thoughts, sure thoughts God is having of peace towards us. And this is that corollary to the blessing that peace is the greatest of the blessings. It's sure, it's sure. And besides that, God has these thoughts toward the people, not just of them. I'm thinking of you, honey. I'm thinking of you, my man. I'm thinking of you, friend. And I have good thoughts of you, but God's thoughts are toward the people, literally upon them. One has described this uh, way of connecting the thoughts with the people of God as being toward them or upon them as the thoughts of God having their way of drifting toward the people and so coming right beside them. I prefer a more powerful word. When God has thoughts, they don't just drift towards us and come upon us, kind of happenstance, but they're aimed at us. That's God's thoughts. And so the certainty of peace and of the future and of 2024 and God being with us 
is divine certainty, even as the peace of God is divine and it's of God, so the word and the thoughts of God are divine, and so it is so. This is always and also, of course, because of the nature of the thoughts of God. Another reason why these thoughts of God are so blessed and to think upon them is to think upon a sure thing. Because look what Isaiah says in chapter 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And he goes on to speak of the fact that his thoughts are so certain, and they're so not human but divine, that they will accomplish everything he thinks about. So away with the theologies of this day. Well, God has a thought and intention and a purpose, and he doesn't get it done. We believe in sovereignty, the kingship of God on the throne. He is over all, and what he intends and what he purposes, what he thinks about. He thinks towards. He aims towards, and he accomplishes. And for us, the people of God... Peace and the certainty of our return from the captivity, of our knowing God. Let's put it that way. Since I said that, in a way, this whole dispensation is a kind of captivity for the people of God, put it this way that there's a return in principle back and back and back again to God. And a domination even of the glorious presence of God in our lives so that yes, though we are wretched men having a straight betwixt two whether we should go home to heaven or not and having also this, this life and death battle of good and evil within, nevertheless, we know God. Struggles in personal life, struggles in family life, struggles in church life, struggles in the world are to be dominated by the victory that is God's and this because it's in Jesus, which is my second point. The way that this happens and a very important truth, of course, God's ways in Jesus. God's way in Jesus. We know that, don't we? When the Bible speaks of thoughts of God and that he knows them, he's thinking of his son. He's thinking of his eternal thoughts with God, his intentions, his purposes, and He's thinking, as Zechariah was led to, to see, of the council of peace that Father and the Son had in the communion of the Holy Ghost for all the thoughts that God would ever have toward sons of men and toward the elect of God. Thoughts that will, in the determinative purpose of God, become words towards men and towards this world and towards the elect of God. 
Thoughts becoming words. Thoughts articulated. Thoughts spoken outside of himself to create all things by the word of his power. To uphold all things by the word of his power. To be among all things the word of God of Christmas tabernacling among us. Jesus, he's the reason why there is peace. He's Another reason we know this is Jesus is because he's the peace of God. He's the peacemaker, the peace giver. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives unto you, but I give you my peace, he says. And he's made unto us wisdom and righteousness and peace, the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians, he's everything that God ever thought of us. He thinks first of Jesus and of this people being in him. See, that's how the Jews get to be the Jews, the true Jews. That's how the people of God get to be the people of God, because God thinks of them, thinks of them in Jesus, chooses them, as Paul says in Ephesians, before the foundation of the world, in Christ. So these thoughts of God are Christ's thoughts. And you think of that. If you want to think of thoughts and then the words that follow, think of Jesus being called in Revelation 1, verse 8, the Alpha and the Omega. You know what that is, children? First and last letter of the, Hebrew, uh, the, the Greek alphabet. Amazing. The Alpha and the Omega. Jesus Christ is all the letters that God would ever say and then put together. Everything that he'd say to us and all the phrases and, and all the communication from heaven to earth through Jesus, who's the Alpha and the Omega, which is another way of saying that Jesus is the most important one, the most preeminent one of all the thoughts of God. He's the one, in fact, who is the word of all the words of the prophets. He's the word who is the reality of the pictures that were pictured in the Old Testament of the temple. He's the temple of God. He's King David from heaven. He's the prophecy of Isaiah. His is the spirit that inspired the prophet Isaiah. Besides that, he's the righteousness of the people the end of the law for all righteousness, Romans 10, verse 4. He's the expression of all of God's grace. He's the one through whom the Spirit is given. You know that, don't you? Now know that in 2024. And know that because God is saying that to us now, beloved. The way of Christ is the way of the preaching of Christ. This is front and center, in fact, in Jeremiah's prophecy. No one would listen to Jeremiah. But they were bent on listening to other prophets. Jeremiah 29 Verse 15, because you've said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, therefore there's going to be a curse. That's what he says in so many words. You've listened to these other prophets. They were given names, or they had names as well, these other prophets. Their names were <clears throat> um, given, I think, in verse 22, is it? Ahab and Zedekiah. 
The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab. Verse 21 as well. Thus said the Lord of God of hosts, the God of Israel concerning Ahab, the son of Coliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Maasiah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, and so on. Then there was another false prophet, verse 24, Shemaiah the Nehalamite. He was a bad guy too. All these people, people were listening. What were these prophets saying at this time? Oh, beloved, this is so important. Jeremiah is saying to them, you must be in the captivity. You must go. My thoughts to you are of peace, even when you're going to go into the captivity. But you must go there. You must go there. You must suffer there. The other prophets were saying, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to stay in this promised land. And they were passing this off in the name of God. They were saying, well, God had said that we're to be in this land and we're to prosper in this land. And surely God wouldn't change his mind. So there was a hint of truth to them and people were believing them. Jeremiah was saying, no, God says you go in Babylon and you'll be in that world of Babylon, a picture of the church in the world, and you marry and you have children and you're those who are peaceful members of society, not to transform it, as people say, but to be outstanding in it, the city on a hill in it, and you be this people of God. But these people didn't want that. And basically, beloved, what it all comes down to is they didn't want to understand, they didn't want the people of God to think that suffering was a part of this whole business of being a child of God. Surely God wouldn't bring us into captivity. Surely God is, is done with that kind of stuff. Surely God would have us to be successful as a people of God and not humiliated in this chastisement. Surely God will give us the victory over the Babylonians. So those were the false prophets. And beloved, it's the same thing today. People want everything about Christianity and thoughts of peace, but no captivity, no chastisement, really no cross. There's this misinterpretation of peace and of the way of Christianity as if it's all light and feathery, as if everything has to do with triumph and triumphalism and a carnal peace and an earthly peace and a prosperity that has to do not with the things of heaven, but with a kind of kingdom on earth. The church here is called to go outside the camp, go outside of the place where you're normally to be, the, people, the, the place of heaven. It's exactly what the church is called to be as well in the New Testament. Hebrews 13, we're to go with Christ outside the camp that we might suffer the reproach with him. Go outside of this world, don't have its goals and, and don't believe its 
false prophets with a health and wealth and this earthly kingdom sort of gospel. Beloved, in 2024 and for the rest of the years of our life, don't fall for this. The first disciples fell for this. This is maybe the first sin of a church. We can be like the world and have conquering over our enemies just the way the world does and be admired because we have something that the world would want. But the world has never wanted Jesus, nor a church that preaches the cross, the call to repentance, and the way of bearing a cross. See, this is the Christless Christianity here. Don't listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, as one commentator said, he had everything to say to upend the people's hopes, to frustrate their plans. All the people and the popular prophets wanted was something like the status quo of old. Forget this captivity thing. That's too harsh of God. Forget this cross thing. That's too harsh of God. It's cosmic child abuse. Give us a neat God and a nice God and a world-conforming God. And a God who comes to this world simply to say, now just get a little better. Get a little better. <sighs> Jeremiah got lowered in the pit for all of his faithfulness. And prophets today who would preach the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth in Jesus will be lowered into the same pit. So the way is the Christ and the grace of God because the people of God are not worthy. It's the way of the word of God that's preached. It's the way of our participation in the sufferings of Christ that we might partake of the glories to follow. Is that our way, beloved, too? Is that what we believe here? The whole world would, would say, don't follow that way. What do you mean, a church of chastisement, a church of captivity? We're set free, aren't we? The truth shall set us free. Yes, it does. Yes, it does, indeed. And we preached that just this sermon. But there's this struggle, isn't there? There's this beginning and there's this glory, but not yet. There's this living between the times when Jesus comes and when he will come again. There's this having to be identified with Jesus and the importance of that by leaving the world, though we're in the world, and even coming apart for much what calls itself church of Jesus Christ. Oh, beloved, what shall it be for us? The prophet speaks here, and this must be spoken to those in Babylon, and the prophecy itself is that when this is preached in thoughts of peace and not of evil, and that God would give us a future and a hope are preached, then there will be a calling upon Jehovah and a going and praying to him and, and a promise that God will listen to him. And it sounds, in fact, like 
The new covenant, and if you read Jeremiah 24, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, says the Lord. I'll bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and so on. It's a veritable promise of the end of time. Shall we listen? And then shall we respond and pray? I want to share with you Daniel's response to this message of Jeremiah 29. Daniel 9, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, Babylon, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. You see, among the captives to whom this message of Jeremiah 29 was to go was Daniel, one of the early princes and leaders and youthful prospects in the kingdom of God, taken to Nebuchadnezzar and would go through different reigns and different kingdoms there, survive them all. He's a man of the word. He's a man who hears Jeremiah because look what happens then in verse 3. After he, set, he heard this word of Jeremiah, then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face. Here's an honest man. And he hears the words of the prophet. And he says, I want to be a man of that word. I want to hear and I'm going to pray now because I believe. And I believe the, the messenger of the word. I believe the preacher appointed of God. I believe because he brings me truth. I know it. It's from heaven. And I'm going to believe that he's going to give me peace and a bright future. You believe that, beloved? The problem with the Jews then and the church today is we don't want to wait on the Lord. We don't want to wait 70 years. We want success now, numbers now. Got to wait 12 years, 20 years, 70 years, wait. Wait to be healthy. Wait for all of these things that we like. And God says, yes. With a waiting that's believing. My times are perfect. My peace is perfect. And just on time. So what shall it be? Help it 
to be that we pray, beloved. That's the first response. When you hear this word, Jeremiah says, the people will pray and God will answer. 2024, Sovereign Grace constituency, you guys and me. Let us be a people of prayer and song and joy and godliness in Babylon, but not of it. Bound for the kingdom of heaven and can hardly wait. But we'll wait because we're waiting on the Lord and he will give us peace even now. Bright future, glorious prospect, blessed presence of God always. Amen. Lord, we pray you would bless us and help us now to hear what we've heard, to believe what we believe, to possess what is given to us, things of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, in other words, we pray, give us to respond well. In the name of Jesus, to be a praying and singing and happy and hopeful and holy people. And in this year to come, to resolve to be more like that, more yours. Though we go outside the camp or otherworldly, though it's to Jesus we cling and Jesus and him alone we preach, so be it and praise be to God for it. Bless everyone, bless us all together. Give us in all our times together to rejoice that you lead us to be your people, the family of God, and you're leading us together to go home. Amen.